It's three days before Christmas, 1974, and the New York Times publishes a blockbuster story. Reporter Seymour Hersh's lead was powerful. The Central Intelligence Agency, Hersh wrote, directly violating its charter, conducted a massive illegal domestic intelligence operation during the Nixon administration against the anti-war movement and against other dissident groups in the United States. Months of congressional investigations followed during 1975 and dragging on into 1976. And remember, this was all just months after Richard Nixon's resignation over the Watergate affair, and political Washington and the nation were still more than a little raw. The Senate investigation became one of the most consequential congressional investigations ever, and led, among other things, to the creation of the currently controversial Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, the FISA Court, and the creation of permanent congressional committees to oversee the nation's intelligence agencies. After five months of closed-door investigation, of PBS talking in private with Duke intelligence in agents and officials, most of the senators now agree with Chairman Frank Church that the CIA has indeed been a rogue elephant out of control. So, the testimony of Cole... Many Things Considered is an independently produced podcast on history and politics, connecting politics past to politics present. Our website is manythingsconsidered.com, and you'll find us and lots of supporting material at our Many Things Considered Facebook page. This episode, When Intelligence Was Bipartisan. Here again is Mark Johnson. Forty-plus years ago, the country was in the midst of a great debate involving the CIA, spying on American citizens, assassination plots against foreign leaders, and ultimately how Congress and the courts could keep track of what the intelligence community is doing with our money and, we presume, in our interests. Today there are new issues. Did a foreign power meddle in our presidential election? And how, if at all, were the president and people who work for him involved in that? And those questions have embroiled the nation's intelligence services in a raging new controversy. This is a Fox News alert. Good evening. I'm Brett Baer in Washington. As people here in the nation's capital and all over the country finally get to see the just declassified memo alleging FBI abuses in surveillance practices, we have complete. Well, it's pretty clear that if there ever was a bipartisan consensus about the need to depoliticize the oversight of the nation's intelligence services, it has all but vanished, at least in the U.S. House of Representatives. Listen to the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, California Republican. Devin Nunez. We wanted it out. We want it out because we think it is... Nunez is talking there about the recent dueling memos, one from the Intelligence Committee Republican majority and a second memo from minority Democrats. As you likely have picked up in the news, those memos had a dramatically different take on the whole Russian meddling in the election story and how or whether the president and people close to him might be involved. Nunes has basically argued that Democrats on the Intelligence Committee are colluding with forces in the intelligence agencies to undermine Donald Trump and to hide misdeeds of fellow Democrats. It's like Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy comes to Capitol Hill. The Democrats are not only trying to cover this up, but they're also colluding with parts of the government to help cover this up. 
And I think as you read it, you will see personal attacks. And as for Democrats on the Intelligence Committee, the ranking Democrat is Adam Schiff, also from California. Here he is reacting to the decision by majority Republicans to unilaterally end the committee's investigation into Russian meddling. That was a terrible disservice to the country and the American people uh, and represented a reneging on the commitment that was made at the outset of the investigation to follow the facts wherever they lead. Uh, instead, uh, what the majority on the Intelligence Committee did was go through the motions of an investigation, call in witnesses but allow them to refuse to answer questions, allow them to invoke non-existent privileges, or simply decline to answer because the witness didn't deem the question relevant or because they would rather not say. Documents that were necessary to obtain to determine whether witnesses were telling the truth uh, would not be subpoenaed. Um, this is no way to run an investigation. It is only a way to go through the motions to give the pretense of trying to find the truth. So we're not going to set we are about to try and figure out which interpretation of who did what to whom is correct here. Some wise historian will likely sort out this dispute 20 years from now. Rather, the complete breakdown in bipartisan oversight, at least as demonstrated on the House Committee, is a way for us to ask how these committees came about in the first place. And how did politicians who created these intelligence oversight committees that are now so much in the news, how did they hope they would work? What is Congress's role, after all, in policing the intelligence agencies? And can oversight ever be effective if one of the two congressional committees charged with keeping track of the CIA, the National Security Agency, the FBI, and on and on, if they can't even agree on basic facts of a matter like the Russian investigation. Just over 40 years ago, Congress grappled with many of these same questions as House and Senate special committees set out to investigate the intelligence community. The House Committee investigation, shades of what's going on now perhaps, turned into a political train wreck. But the Senate investigation, chaired by Idaho Democrat Frank Church, has left an indelible mark on both how we think about the intelligence community and how Congress relates to agencies like the CIA. The hearings took place in the historic Senate caucus room, scene of the dramatic Watergate investigation just two years ago. The press Frank was Church back. was a liberalish Democrat, only 32 years old when he was first elected in 1956, and he looked even younger. He was an early critic of Vietnam, a man who hated official secrets and duplicitous presidents, regardless of party. Very unlikely Democrat in a heavily Republican state. That's Rod Grammer. He co-wrote Frank Church's biography, appropriately entitled Fighting the Odds. Some people would say he was a liberal, but he uh, he had many conservative um, values as well. Um, but he uh, he really was kind of an old-fashioned um, uh, progressive with idealistic uh, views about government. Peter Finn, now a Washington consultant, was hired in the early going of the church investigation and was involved in some of the most sensational and most troubling aspects of the investigation. Let him break it down issue by issue. And uh, the main areas that I was involved in were NSA surveillance, uh, the activities in Chile, and uh, various uh, efforts with the assassination 
plots against foreign leaders. NSA surveillance is, of course, the committee's discovery that the federal government, through the National Security Agency, without warrant or in many cases without obvious cause, was spying on its own citizens. Frank Church, as he indicated in an appearance on NBC's Meet the Press in 1975, even before his committee really began its work, found the prospect of widespread surveillance of the American public deeply troubling. In the need to develop a capacity to know what potential enemies are doing, the United States government has perfected a technological capability that enables us to monitor the messages that go through the air. Uh, these messages uh, are between ships at sea. They could be between units, uh, military units in the field. We have a very extensive capability of intercepting messages wherever they may be in the airwaves. Now that is necessary and important to the United States as we look abroad at enemies or potential enemies. We must know. At the same time, that capability at any time could be turned around on the American people. And no American would have any privacy left, such as the capability to monitor everything, telephone conversations, telegrams, it doesn't matter. There would be no place to hide. If this government ever became a tyranny, if a dictator ever took charge in this country, the technological capacity that the intelligence community has given the government could enable it to impose total tyranny. And there would be no way to fight back because the most careful effort to combine together in resistance to the government, no matter how privately it was done, is within the reach of the government to know. Such is the capability of this technology. Now, why is this investigation important? I'll tell you why. Because I don't want to see this country ever go across the bridge. I know the capacity that is there to make tyranny total in America. And we must see to it that this agency and all agencies that possess this technology operate within the law and under proper supervision so that we never cross over that abyss. There, that's the abyss from which there is no return. Idaho Senator Frank Church in 1975 on NBC's Meet the Press. And here again is Church's biographer, Rod Grammer. It was a blow to his gut that, uh, that his own, our own government was spying on Americans, uh, anti-war protesters, others. Uh, there was even one case where... Uh, um, uh, a letter that he had sent to his mother-in-law here in Boise had been opened and, and read, and it just uh, it shook him to the core that uh, the government um, was was spying on its own own people. It just um, I think it, um, it it more than frustrated him. I think it angered him that that this was going on. Former committee staffer Peter Finn jokes that before the Church Committee investigation, there was so little oversight of the nation's intelligence agencies that committee staffers referred to the NSA, the National Security Agency, the Electronic Spying Service, as no such agency. 
Intelligence agency budgets were, of course, top secret, and the CIA, hard to believe, or maybe not so hard to believe, even attempted to disguise its physical location. The CIA rode off the George Washington Parkway, had a sign that said BPR, Bureau of Public Roads, which was a little, a little, you know, place where they collected sand. There wasn't even a CIA sign going to this great big building where the, where the operation was housed. The church committee ultimately came to investigate the CIA's role in the overthrow of democratically elected governments and covert actions to kill foreign leaders. Perhaps the episode that has incensed the most people was the American role in the overthrow of the socialist government of Chile's President Allende in 1973. The report says there is no doubt that President Nixon wanted to topple the Allende government. And there is no doubt he... The committee uncovered evidence of U.S. plans to kill Patrice Lumumba, the first prime minister of the Congo. Even more direct involvement in the military coup against the president of South Vietnam, a U.S. ally and attempts to assassinate Cuban leader Fidel Castro. The Church Committee also disclosed in some detail, and really for the first time, and this may seem quaint in our cynical times when the term fake news is bandied around daily, the committee discovered that the Central Intelligence Agency was routinely paying for news stories, had columnists on the payroll, paid academics to produce seemingly independent reports, Investigative reporter Daniel Golden wrote a book about all this last year, and Golden contends, with much evidence to support his claims, that American research universities to this day are involved in espionage. The first voice you hear is that of CIA Director William Colby, and then Senator Frank Church, and again this is from 1975. I think one of the kinds of intelligence we want, Mr. Chairman, is that we want some of our intelligence truly to be secret that we want to protect our nation's sources the way our journalists protect their sources, that we have to have some secrets that we need to keep. We have to abandon the old tradition of total secrecy, but I think we do have to agree that there are secrets in America, in our ballot box, in other areas of our life that we do respect, and that intelligence has a legitimate area in which it needs secrets, and in which its secrets need to be protected for the benefits not of intelligence, but for our nation. I thought that it was a matter of uh, real concern that planted stories intended to serve a national purpose abroad um, came home and were circulated here and believed here because uh, this would mean that the CIA could manipulate the news in the United States by channeling it through some foreign country. Now we're looking at that very carefully. In the 40 plus years since the Church Committee told us more than we had ever known before about the nation's intelligence agencies, and likely told us more than we know now, it's difficult not to conclude that Frank Church was prescient prescient about where we find ourselves today, often trying to sift amid complex layers of secrecy the competing storylines about what really is in the national interest, what is true and based on evidence, what is propaganda, disinformation, or out-and-out fake. 
church recognized this long before cell phones and Facebook, before Google or Russian Internet bots, before there was a Cambridge Analytica, before we wondered if a national election was skewed by foreign meddling. Indeed, meddling with our minds. Bill Miller had a long and distinguished career in the U.S. Foreign Service. He was ambassador to the Ukraine and had postings in Iran, among other places. And he was the staff director for the church committee and the first staff director for the permanent Senate Intelligence Committee, created directly as a result of church's investigation. Retired now, I reached him recently at his home in Virginia and asked him about the most important legacy of the investigation. Well, the um, most important uh, aspect of our work was the uh, awareness of the world of secrecy and its effect on uh, democratic institutions. It's really kind of remarkable now to reflect on what a diverse group of senators made up the church committee. A conservative like Arizona's Barry Goldwater, a liberal like Minnesota's Walter Mondale, a foreign policy hawk like John Tower of Texas, and a skeptic like Church. And it's remarkable to reflect that they really did accomplish quite a bit. Not without controversy, to be sure, but they did accomplish enough to give us the biggest window we've ever had into our intelligence agencies and what they do in our name. Bill Miller, the staff director of the church committee, says it was remarkably easy to arrive at consensus to establish the permanent intelligence committees that exist today. And Church Miller says thought it essential that Congress play a central role. He thought it was absolutely crucial to the legislative function um, and the balance between the branches of government. So if congressional oversight is a major legacy of the Church Committee, how is it working? That's next. Jennifer Kibbe, and I'm an associate professor of government at Franklin and Marshall College. Jennifer Kibbe is also a scholar of the intelligence community who has written extensively about congressional oversight. I actually think you see all the bad things about congressional oversight <clears throat> on the House side, and you're actually seeing at least some attempts at the good part of it on the Senate side right now. Um, and I would attribute it pretty clearly to a difference in leadership, um, you know, and who's who's more willing to make this just purely about, you know, blatant partisanship and who's actually trying to conduct oversight. Professor Kibbe says for genuinely effective oversight, Congress must insist on knowing more about what the intelligence agencies are up to before they take action. You can have great oversight, but if it's always just after some, you know, intelligence failure or some, you know, PR disaster, you know, some Snowden document gets out or whatever, um, then, you know, it's better than what we've got now, but it's, it's, you need to have it, you know, they need to be involved 
before operations happen, right? Kibbe has three major concerns at the moment. A president who seems eager to take existing constraints off the intelligence community. Donald Trump says he supports waterboarding, for example, a tactic that was deemed torture during the Obama years. Second, she worries about a sort of privatization of intelligence. She mentioned to me, for example, the shadowy role of a fellow named Eric Prince, the founder of the private security service Blackwater, whose ties to the Trump administration have involved him in the ongoing Russian investigation. And then the third thing for me would be, it's related to the first one, but, um, you know, something I've been looking at for several years is kind of the increasing convergence and overlap of uh, special operations forces and CIA in conducting covert action. And it's unclear how much of that is actually happening. It's unclear what all the ramifications of that are. But it's also very unclear how much the congressional committee's intelligence and armed services are, you know, sort of uh, how much of that is, is being made transparent. With the benefit of 40-plus years of perspective and offering the insights of what partisan dysfunction can do to the notion of independent oversight, many scholars and historians who have independently assessed the Church Committee investigation conclude that it was one of a small handful of truly important examples in our history of where Congress asserted itself to first understand and then police agencies of the executive branch. Given the awesome power the intelligence communities possessed in 1975 and the even more awesome power they possess today, the Church Committee was a casebook study of what the founders had in mind when they devised checks and balances. And, since no important deed goes unpunished, church biographer Rod Grammer says the investigation contributed directly to Church's re-election defeat to a very conservative Republican, Steve Sims, in 1980. Very controversial. In fact, I covered the, the 1980 Church Sims uh, Senate race, and I would say there were two issues that really, I think, ultimately cost Church the, his seat in the Senate. Um, one was the um, Panama Canal treaties, which he carried on the Senate floor, and the other was the CIA investigation. As I traveled the state, um, that year and a half that I covered that campaign, those two issues came up over and over and over again. And in many ways, I think that Church being a, a progressive in a, a very conservative state, uh, those two issues really rattled um, you know, the, the voters of Idaho. Even despite that, he only lost by less than 1% of the vote. And he would say that the Reagan landslide probably was the final nail in the coffin for him politically. But but those two issues, the CIA investigation and his sponsorship of the Panama Canal treaties, were were the ones that I think really raised the ire of, of Idaho's conservative voters. A footnote on the House Intelligence Committee investigation when we come back. All previous episodes of Many Things Considered are available at our website. If you enjoy these stories, please spread the word. 
You can also help us by rating the podcast on either iTunes or Stitcher. So I'll leave you with this, something Professor Jennifer Kibbe mentioned to me. She's the scholar at Franklin and Marshall College in Pennsylvania, and it seems to prove the old line that history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. What the intelligence committees really need to be effective is more control over the actual intelligence budget, right? Everything old, it seems, is new again. I noted earlier that the House of Representatives had its own investigation of the intelligence agencies in 1975 and 76, chaired by New York Democrat Otis Pike. But unlike the Church Committee, the House investigation degenerated into a prolonged partisan squabble. The House Committee had major clashes with the Ford administration over records, and some Democrats on the committee became deeply frustrated that they couldn't get basic information about agency budgets. That's right. Agency budgets, still an issue of controversy with the intelligence agencies. Here's Wisconsin Democrat Les Aspen, a member of the House Pike Committee in 1975, questioning the head of what was then called the General Accounting Office. Where else could they get money? Uh, could they be, for example, printing the stuff? <laughs> Is that possible? I mean, think of any other place. I'm trying to find out where all the possible sources of funds for the intelligence community come from. Where do they come from? Questions about budgets and how much information to make public were at the heart of the decision by the full House of Representatives in 1976, and remember, the House was controlled by Democrats in those days, to refuse to authorize the release of the House Intelligence Committee's report, a decision that incensed Congressman Ron Dellums, a California Democrat. I think our report was a good report, it was a critical report, but I think it was on target. And for 322 members of Congress to vote not to see a report, in my estimation, is a height of insanity and absurdity. Do you think we'll eventually see it? I think so. But w one means or another, the leaks take place around here, and maybe members of Congress will be embarrassed enough to realize what they have done in stopping the people from being able to see a report. Maybe there'll be a groundswell of concern on the part of people who demand to see the report. But one way or the other, the entire report, or, or most of the report, will be seen by the people. I have no uh, illusions about that. One constant in Washington is the leak. Congressman Dellums was correct. The Pike Committee report almost immediately leaked to the press. You can find it online today, and I'll post some links on our Facebook page. Idaho Senator Frank Church was severely criticized in the late 1970s for harming the CIA and the larger intelligence communities. Critics particularly denounced his characterization of the CIA as being a rogue elephant on a rampage. Whether that description was accurate or not is still debated. But this much does seem true. We know as much or as little about these secretive, powerful organizations as our elected officials demand. And what we do know, or what we should know, can be badly twisted when partisan considerations get in the way of national interest. It would appear we are headed one way or another for a day of reckoning for a president often disdainful of the intelligence community and the target of a massive investigation into events that likely can only be unwound by the intelligence community. The agencies designed to protect us can also rip us apart.
Perhaps the real legacy of the church committee is that we were warned about so much of this more than four decades ago. Many Things Considered is produced and reported by Mark Johnson. You can sign up to receive information about future episodes and the Many Things Considered blog at our website, manythingsconsidered.com. I'm Mark Johnson. Thanks for listening, and until next time, be intelligent. Have you brought with you um, some of those devices which would have enabled the CIA to use this poison for, we have indeed, for killing people? The round thing at the top is obviously the sight. It works by electricity. There's a battery in the handle, and it's...